So thanks Lenny for joining me today in the IFI. Um, we'll just start by talking a little bit about your upbringing. Sure. Sorry. Um, I was uh, born into a kind of very pretty secular Jewish family um, in the mid 60s and uh, so my upbringing was, was a pretty conventional uh, middle class Dublin with the one difference that the family were, wasn't Catholic um, and uh, I, um, my dad's a, a lawyer um, my mum stayed on looked after the kids three sisters myself um, went to high school which, is, which was near where we lived and um, yeah, I suppose the, the the family there was a really real kind of interest in art in the family, music, literature, painting, and and so to that okay. extent, I was exposed to to that. Not nobody was nobody really talked about film as an art form because mm. that wasn't just wasn't part of the of the of the the picture. Was my there an interest had. in watching films like on Sunday morning? Would everyone kind of crowd around and watch kind of the old classics or anything like that, or was it? Well, I watched a lot of films. I was sort of obsessed with the telly and, and tried, like, tried to spend as much time in front of it as I could. Like, mm. I was that kid who got up at six in the morning on a Saturday, waited for the kids' programs to start. Yeah. And, um, but no, it was... Yeah, people watched television. My mum watched a lot of television. The, 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 my sisters did. My dad didn't. He was always kind of... He was never that interested in TV. And, and yeah, there was, there was a love of, of, you know, good mainstream films. Um, but... There wasn't, uh, yeah, but nobody watched sort of what you would call, um, you know, nobody watched European cinema or anything like yeah. that in the house. Yeah, yeah, I get you. Um, so from there then you went on to Trinity, yeah. into philosophy, is that right? Yeah, so I studied philosophy in um, Trinity. I studied, started off doing sciences and uh, doing maths, physics, and I gave that up and changed to philosophy and did a degree. Lack yeah. of interest or was it just that it was... It was not your calling. So. I think it wasn't my calling. I mean, I, I liked it in school, and, and we had a really good physics teacher and good science teachers generally. And so, that can kids were, your yeah, kids were encouraged like, yeah, yeah. to do it, you know. And but also, I think I thought doing physics was going to be more about the philosophy of it than it turned out to be. And and I just sort of learned that my interest was was conceptual generally, and and I, I you know I started to realize that. I, sort of picked the wrong thing and I changed but I and I really enjoyed doing that degree but while I was in college I started to mess around with video which was just about becoming you know affordable you could we raised money in the college and set up a kind of filmmaking society well that was going to be my next question yeah. about the Trinity yeah Trinity um, video and that company. with uh, Goini like I mean was that kind of the say core of your experience there like did you spend a lot of time making video outside I, of the sciences or yeah I know because I started philosophy at that stage and it was we did, yeah, we, we, we did a lot of it. I mean, a, a few friends, one of the people that I'd been in sciences with, and he still is a physicist, but he still has an interest in making films, and Madden. he was one of the people as well. And, yeah, we just started playing around. I mean, there was nothing, we didn't, I, I'd like to say that there was something that we made that was really amazing, but there wasn't. Um, but it was a good, it was just the beginning of that time when you could take a camera and go and shoot well I guess it. if there's no regulations you can do whatever you want can't you yeah. and kind of just experiment like and exactly and there was nobody before that you had to I mean I suppose people were making Super 8 stuff before yeah, that yeah. But, but this was the first time you could shoot something go and stick it into a pneumatic machine edit it and, and look at it yeah, and yeah. so yeah we did a fair bit of that very cool very cool um, 
Your first short was Three Joes, is that right? That's right. Did that come during your time in Trinity? Or? It was the year, we made it the year the year I left. So there was this, I don't know if you remember, but... Um, probably not, it wasn't alive, I'd say. Well, yeah, but you probably weren't. <laughs> Jesus. The film Educating Rita, which was with Michael Caine, and uh, it was like a, a sort of big popular film in the 80s. Before I okay. was kind of, I think it was before I was in Trinity, they made it and they used Trinity as a location. And they oh, paid really? a location fee and that money was put aside to... To help fund visual and performing arts, ideal. So we got like two thousand old money, and borrowed a bit more and made a short, three Joes. The year I left, and that was the first time I had any experience of of having a proper crew, real equipment, of course, yeah. shot on film, um, all those things, and and worked with, like the, the the filmmaking community in the country was so tiny then. So in fact, the people that worked on that. Short where John Moore worked on it, okay. um, PJ Dillon worked yeah. on it, um, lots of people who are still. Hugh Linehan was actually the first AD, so yeah, he's like the mad. the guy who edits the Culture in the Irish Times, and um, so it was funny. There was you know anyway everybody did it for nothing, and we made that film, and that that then I went off to um, I was kind of in two minds about what to do, but I got a scholarship to go and study more philosophy in the states, and I went off to do that, and while I was there, Three Joes won some prizes. Um, in the best Dominic West is in it isn't he yeah Dominic How West that come up? Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> yeah that's another thing um, and Michael Murphy he's a superb actor um, uh, and Gary Cook from from Apri Match yeah yeah it's like, um, was that just perchance yeah that well Gary happened? Cook was in college so was Dominic West yeah he, he came from Britain and went to college in Trinity that's how I met him okay so um, yeah he was just this great young actor that was in Players so of course you're going to take a great yeah, young actor from your first film of exactly so so we so after that, um, yeah, it won it won best European film at Cork and it won um, a prize at Oberhausen, which is a big short film festival in mm. Germany and other prizes. And and I, I just thought at that point I was sort of feeling lonely and um, working in you know I was at Stanford in California and I just thought no I want to make films yeah. and um, that's when I checked in the academics and started trying to. It's literally what sparked it, like in terms of. Well, it was just I, I was kind of wasn't particularly happy there anyway. It was like it was the yeah it was the spark that that made me think yeah I'll do this. Now. And did you honestly believe at that point you could set out and make a career for yourself? Or you were like oh I'll go back and just kind of change my I, arm or. I think I, I would have said yes, but I probably didn't really believe it. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know it's a, if in fact I'm glad, I'm glad I don't I didn't know as much then as I do now because I might not have done it I mean uh, in this you know or put it like this I was looking at these recent statistics the BFI released about how many people who make a first feature go on to make a second mm. and a third and a fourth and a fifth and and then this, the numbers are tiny so even if you get to make your first film which is already of course, hard yeah very good achievement of course. Um, I think after that only one in ten will make a second really and then after that maybe one in ten of those will make a third Christ so it's, it's really, really tough. And, but, but that's not... I think I just thought... I don't know, because if I was a different sort of person, maybe I would have stayed in the States, tried to do something there. Yeah. But I had no support network there. Wouldn't have known where to start. Was still yeah. really young. So came back here instead. It's mad how those things work out, isn't it? It is. It absolutely is. I'm still hoping to make a career out of it. <laughs> Philosophy, yeah. Just decent yeah. filmmaking. Um, Mendel Waldman, is that yeah. right? That was actually shot here in the Irish Yeah, industry, it was. Wasn't it? it was shot downstairs. 1987, is that yeah, right? Yeah, which is pretty... So was that at the beginning of, say, the Trinity kind of video club? Yeah, or? so what happened was, um, I think we did that while I was still in college, and it was the first thing we shot on film. 
So yeah. I can't remember whether it was before we set up the society or or after, but it was the first thing we shot on film, and that was totally amateur in the sense that there were no, we didn't have, there were no professional crew okay. working on yeah, it at yeah. all. Um, but it was about my grandfather, and yeah. uh, who I just wanted to record his his stories and his memories. He grew up in Poland in between the wars, okay. and yeah. uh, had an amazing, uh, just sort of had a journey through that Central European history, that extraordinary phase of history in Europe, and ended up bizarrely in Ireland. And he used to tell us all these stories when we were small, and I, like all kids, thought they were boring. And um, then as you get older, you, you learn to appreciate them more. That yeah. he's actually been in, 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 like right through the kind of knot of, of Europe, uh, of European history at that point, and, and his family as well. So, um, so I did that, and and, uh, yeah, we bought like we got reversal stock from RT that was actually half was out of date. So half the film was was all orangey, and the other half was all blue. <laughs> And we couldn't grade. We couldn't grade them together, so we had to decide that there would be a one point in the middle of the film where the color would switch, and that would be it, because you couldn't like Clever. intercut them. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> pretty funny. Um, so you'd come back from the states, and then you went on to directing commercials. Was that soon after you came back? And how did that come about? It was actually. It took a while. Um, I came back. I started writing, um, and I was very. And still am very critical of the stuff that I wrote, and even though some of it was supported by Arts Council, which was there was no film board at that point. Of course, yeah. It was between the two 92, film boards. Ninety-two, the film board. Yeah, was exactly. Really stated, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and so I was writing um, stuff and throwing it away and trying to and feeling just this was I'd made a really bad decision or mm. you know I just wasn't going to work and and I think something in me knew that I really had to get up and start making stuff, you know, like. Mm. Um, like for example yeah if you're a writer you can just write but as a director if you want to get better at it you gotta be working gotta be working and so and because I knew I just needed a kick up the arse I needed um, something dynamic to happen and not just be getting up every day feeling depressed and sitting at a desk yeah. so I, I I very naively thought I'll just make some TV commercials and then you discover that like on your own account like your own kind of no no I thought I'll go out and get loads of work oh I see you know? <laughs> um, and then you realise that that's quite hard because it's a really lucrative thing to do so obviously lots of people want to do it yeah but I but I did it um, I luckily met this guy Johnny Spears who was a producer who took a flyer and we did a demo commercial that he paid for and that got me work and actually became Snow pretty Wolf. successful at yeah. it which one was that? What the commercial was that? Uh, well, that was a demo. So that that was for no, no real product. It was for a newspaper. But the first real commercial I did was for the lottery, and then one for Aircom, and then I did. I was very quickly into quite big. Yeah. Yeah, Crosberg and yeah, Crosberg, yeah. Guinness stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Very interesting. Which I learned a lot from, I have to say. That's Johnny Spears and uh, still Spears films. They still do a lot of commercials. They do a lot of yeah. commercials. Yeah. Um, Ed Guiney. Tell us a little bit about Ed Guiney and his kind of... Like, was he with you throughout that process of the commercials and all that? Or did he kind of jump back on board for the films? Yeah, Ed was not... No, what happened was I sort of... When we left college and I went to the States, Ed kept going in film, worked in different companies, and then eventually set up uh, his own company. And So we had sort of... I wasn't working with him because I was just too busy trying to write my stuff, and he was getting on with, like, making things and doing real work. <laughs> and... So once I started working in commercials, now that was entirely different. That was just with Johnny. And in fact, the first film came about um, through Johnny. So Adam and Paul came about through Johnny Spears because he met Marco Halloran. Okay. And said, well, do you ever write anything? Not just for theatre, do you ever write for film? And would you ever be interested? And he said, 
where I got all these different ideas and he chucked us some ideas that he'd had and that's when I met him and um, Ed came on board as an exec on that film and then we so that re- reignited our partnership, partnership and then we kept yeah. going so that actually leads me to my next question which was about Mark Halloran and his relationship and his writing especially if you were struggling with writing yeah and directing I and needed somebody to work with yeah. like, and, and actually Mark is, is not just that he's a great writer he's a you know, amazing he, actor as well and Adam and Paul he's fantastic he's great yeah. he's absolutely fantastic and so we met and I had read this little sample of these characters Adam and Paul mm. and Mark had sample scenes and, and an outline and the sample scenes were just I just had that music that you hear in, still in the film in the way that they talk to each other in the way the dialogue works and and I was really interested in slapstick I'd always loved Laurel and Hardy and felt the way to do this film is to is to play on that sort of precise vaudeville style and not to try and make something gradually realistic yes. and so we talked and we both kind of got excited about how we were talking about it and the thing we worked on together was the outline so we changed the story radically but the essence of the characters how they spoke the, some of the key scenes were there right from the beginning from Mark's writing interesting okay. um, still an Adam and Paul Tom Murphy um, yeah. he obviously passed away in 2007 what was he like to work with and oh, he was Tom was amazing and uh, you know he is um, a massive loss to to, uh, to generations of people who would have been able to see him continuing to develop as an actor um, uh, he was actually in college I think he was a bit below me a bit younger oh, really? than me okay. but I remember seeing him even as a student and thinking he was incredible both himself and Dominic West stood out massively yeah. as actors from that time from when they were really young I mean Tom had acted as a child but because Tom did a lot of theatre as well didn't he he won a Tony didn't he in, he did yeah, he won a Tony amazing. I mean he's amazing uh, stage actor but an absolutely brilliant delicate comic tragic comic player just the just just an absolute pleasure to work with as well yeah um, so I I, uh, I loved working with him and it was just devastating to everybody when he died um, I think particularly to Mark because they, they were two of them brothers. are impeccable like I mean yeah. and while they work so well off each other it's, it makes it funny because like I mean as you say if they were gritty and kind of too no it wouldn't work like it's just and yet it can't be silly or sentimental it has to be real real like, in yeah. a different sort of way but um, the other thing about it is Mark, in fact, wasn't going to play that part. Oh, really? There was another actor who pulled out about, I don't know, six weeks, four <laughs> weeks before we started shooting, and uh, who, who I won't name. And um, but uh, but Mark stepped in, and in fact, what it was going to happen early, early was that it was going to be that other actor playing Mark's part and Mark playing Tom Murphy's really? part. Really? And wow. then we auditioned Tom, and he was so amazing. Mark was kicked out, <laughs> and then Mark ended up ended up coming back playing the other back part. Back in as a substitute. Mad, mad how things happen. Um, can I ask you a question now, kind of away from your own work? Yeah. Um, the Arts Council have recently made cuts to the Cork and Galway film centres yes. um, to 14, 50%. How do you think that kind of affects not only Ireland in the filmmaking scene, but also kind of grassroots filmmaking in Ireland? I mean, I think everything, all the cuts are having a, you know, have and must have a profound effect on on artists, on audiences, and big challenges actually to work out how to make. I mean, the cuts are going to get made because, and I think there's a big job in, in lobbying to make those cuts as small as possible, and the, and the campaign for the arts is doing a really good job, and as are other people. But trying to work out how best to support the arts in this country, both film and, 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 and generally, 
given the situation that we're in and, and the likely level of funding you know into the future is massive task and challenge um i think the arts council to be fair are doing their best uh, and you know and i should say i'm involved in this panel in the arts council that's kind of trying to give some guidance as to how to best go about arts funding given and not just funding but policy and that's good and that's important for people I think to know that as well there are actually filmmakers involved behind yeah. the scenes of the Arts Council actually. yeah it's not just um, it's not a bunch of execs kind of saying oh get rid of that get rid of this no and I actually have to say that the, the people working in the Arts Council are I've discovered incredibly committed to the arts and they're working under unbelievable uh, difficult, really difficult situation I think it's easier for me because I'm not directly funded by the Arts Council in that um, any funding for, in Irish funding would come via the film board or yeah. Ta- you know tax incentives course, and stuff yeah, yeah. so I can be a bit objective about it but um, I think there is a bigger question it's not just about funding it's it's about a broader policy towards culture in the country and how to what sort of vision for in particular around ideas like participation and audience development and how we kind of create a culture which really values the arts and, and in which people are encouraged to, to, to participate and not just um not just consume whatever products coming from the big cultural players internationally, but really get involved in, 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 in the cultural world here. So do you mean kind of in terms of homegrown kind of dramas, like Love, Hate and that sort of stuff, and actually uh, yeah. distributing that? But also, but also you know, just uh, audiences and, 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 and educating kids into... Wanting to see Irish cinema. Exactly, and wanting to think about their own culture as something vibrant and as something which, which, which is you know which you can talk about um and that and that that's a, a world that i think that the more you are involved in education and not in some sort of you know it has to be done really well because otherwise you know many you know generations of irish people have been turned off the irish language by really bad teaching yeah but i think there's an opportunity now to think and i think agencies like the arts council and generally artists in general should be driving cultural policy in the country yeah. not just leaving it do up you to think the that's department. something that's kind of easily not easily doable but i suppose I think possible it's possible to do through kind of collaboration and communication and something that will just happen over time through generations. I think no, I think it has to there has to be a really clear policy yeah. decision and, and very concrete steps and, and, and lots of different agencies and uh, organizations have to buy into it. I mean in some there are some models in other countries where you know involvement has really risen due to just kind of policies directed particularly at young people and schools and which get people involved in the arts or at least to be aware of the existence of that discussion hmm. you know and then and also it's about being really tough I think in making for some very tough decisions about funding you know about what is and of course there will be huge debate about that within the artistic community and well, it's also hard new constraints anyway on yourself and then you have to put other constraints on other people sure I mean and I, I'm not to gonna you know the thing is we're just talking so I thankfully don't have to make any of the big decisions but, yeah. but it is that's like good to know say, that your input is there as well, you know? Yeah, I mean, it is important, I think, that there are artists involved in it, and, and it, as you say, it isn't just uh, a kind of um, executive-driven executive executive yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> that's just a, a funny one. Uh, you've obviously been on set countless times. Any stories that kind of jump out or oh anything God. mad that's happened? or? Oh, lots of stuff. I mean, <laughs> it isn't... I mean, fil- making a film is a sort of it's a delirious experience there's a lot of delirium because people are really tired and it's 
the stress level is extremely high and plus there's this kind of thing that happens it's a bit like blitz spirity you know where where you form uh, this this amazingly intimate family that lasts for the number of months that you're making the film and mm. then Kind of, it's gone, gone. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think everybody who works in, in this sort of world or in theatre or whatever um, experiences that like intensity of relationships that are, are like that are sort of so it's a series of like co- you know community one night stands and um, but you hopefully don't come out of it feeling like you said anything feeling like dirty and yeah. boring, you know? <laughs> um, but uh, so I pr- probably I mean god everything you do is Everything is. I'll come back to it because we yeah, talk about think. particular films. We'll yeah, get yeah, into exactly. thinking about it. Did, but do you remember yeah. when Adam and Paul, like um, Mark and Tom, were so uh, authentic that they couldn't go into like a shop and buy cigarettes or anything? <laughs> yeah, they always had to have somebody from the set with them, some nice middle class person from the set. <laughs> so that shot inside in the spare is actually genuine. Like, you just went in as a hidden uh, camera well, sort no, of thing. Well, there are a few. There are some <laughs> shots in the film where they're like begging on the corner and stuff, and then they're just doing it. And nobody knows. Oh, that. really? Yeah. Uh, all the all the O'Connell Street stuff is too big to close down if you're a little film like of ours. Course, yeah. So that was all just shot on the, from a distance on long lenses, and you get these kind of observational glimpses. Um, and then some of it, some of it isn't. But it looks like that, and then most of it is is properly set up. But yeah, if they went to just you know, uh, they well, with Tom Murphy was particularly funny because he'd go in and and he'd say you know, the guy the guy would say look just don't don't even walk in, and Tom Tom in his best sort of D four accent say well actually I just want to buy, and the, you could just see this kind of massive clash in the shopkeeper's <laughs> head of who is this guy? I can't make sense. But but also we got like lots of people on the street would come up like junkies on the street would come yeah, up yeah. to them and say. How did you get into this filmmaking business? I mean, they would yeah, just—they yeah, really, they really, really pass living cast. Like, yeah, I have a friend doesn't know who. Um, <laughs> every time he goes into Brown Thomas, he kind of dresses up in a tracksuit as much as he can. He would take out a wad of like sixty fifties and like buy a present for his girlfriend, you know, just because he enjoys that kind that's, of like. That's <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I, yeah, I could do the tracksuit bit, but I wouldn't have the wad of fifties just at the moment. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, so, if you weren't going to be a director, what would you be? I I would be. I'd probably be an academic. And I don't think it would suit me. Yeah. But that's what I would have done, I think. Okay, um, these deep down happy people that kind of goes along with their lives. And no, I mean, I think it's, you know, I, I, I think that I probably would have, I think I would have written in some way, whether it was academically or fiction. Okay. I can't like, imagine... Do you feel you're a writer deep down? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And I still write. And actually, my, my, you know, I, I'm going to do some of the stuff that I write. That's my kind of promise to myself at the moment. Cool. Um... You see, I, I tend to be very involved in the writing of the films anyway. Mm. You know, whether or not that's something that's that's reflected in the you know in the credits. I, I like the the way I work as a director and the way most kind of um, non you know gun for hire directors work is to be deeply involved in the development of the project. You don't just come in and shoot the script. You are intimately involved in the creation, framing, kind of essential finding of that film. Mm. So do you think that's a very different process? I mean, when you are getting a writer on board, obviously they're professional and they're very good. But I mean, is it something deeper if you've written the project yourself? And is there an easier connection, say, when you actually are shooting? I don't know because I think you have to feel you own it by the time you shoot it, whatever way it started. And I, I, I've always felt that when I've made something. You've um, never felt it's someone else's project, and I'm working no, on it. It's no, your project. I've always felt by the time I'm making it that I've, <coughs> I've remade it for myself in some way. But I think if you write, probably it's it's more difficult because I think I'm pretty, I can be very ruthless about a script. 
Um, that's probably a good thing because otherwise you're not going to have your own defense. Well, exactly. I mean, but but whether whether you could be as objective about your own material, but I mean, there are plenty of scenes that I would have input it put into a film. Yeah. And when I shoot them, I don't feel any different about them than the ones that, that I they all kind of mesh together yeah. into being. Yeah. 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 Um, obviously, the Oscars were on last night. Um, what sort of contemporary cinema interests you? Um, did you have much of an interest last night? I didn't. There was nothing I was particularly interested in last night. Um, I haven't actually seen. 12 Years a Slave which won Best Film so I can't recommend on that um, and I haven't seen uh, she was trying to avoid the old Oscars <laughs> that's my fault for being the question oh no <laughs> I can't believe you're trying to do non-Oscar spoiler non-spoiler <laughs> on the Oscars the day after that's impossible no no it is I'm going to do it I just said to upset you I won't say anything else about what won an Oscar um, list them off <laughs> yeah exactly no I mean it's interesting that like four of the nominated films for Best Film were adaptations and mm. The, my next two projects are both adaptations of books and it's there's something there's You're a reason for that stuff. in a way it's like it's part of the way the industry works that it looks for these pre-existing things that it can say okay there's like a, there's a um, how would you describe it there's there's provenance there mm. you know something is done well something is you can read it and you can know what it is and it's so those projects are it's interesting that, like I say, so many of the Oscar-nominated films were, were adaptations. I don't think the Oscars represent the best films made that year. I mean, but is there I don't anything you've seen that you does. think? Yeah, no, definitely um, not. Just well, I would say, you know, I would be very surprised if... Uh, I've only seen a little bit of it, but if Paolo Sorrentino's film The Great Beauty isn't okay. better than any of the English-language films that were nominated in the main yeah, yeah. category. But, yeah, I'm, I am... I'm mostly... I, I like a lot of American cinema, Um it's amazing how good stuff still slips through the studio. Well, it doesn't come through the studios, but still slips through the net of the of a, of the of a pretty conformist industry. But most of the stuff that that I like is 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 European or from other parts of the world. That you and know, do you South get to American. see a lot of that? I mean, at different festivals, festivals I, are showing. Do you make an effort to kind of see? I never see other films at festivals because you're always press stuff doing and, stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I see I see a lot of stuff on DVD. I'm in the European Film Academy so I get all the box the box okay. of all their films um, I watch I like I have a subscription to uh, one of the Hulu sites and that has all the Criterion collection okay. and <laughs> so I just obsessively watch cinema a lot of old cinema but I try to watch so I'm quite interested in directors like Bruno Dumont in France and um, a director who's interesting although I'm not really well I like for, for example uh, Ceylon the you know the, the Turkish director, and so there are a lot of really fine filmmakers working. And do you ever watch work like that from European cinema and kind of look at a style or pick something from those and kind of say, "I'd like to do that," or that's something that interests me, or that's different, or you know what I mean? Kind of find inspiration from those. Films. Oh yeah, I mean, um, I I I, um, I I think you, I, I so much of the way I work is probably. And, and the, the aspects of the films I make and the funny thing is you do discover like I just made this film called Frank which is which on paper is very different to anything I've done before and yet when I look at it now just you wait people, and get into it <laughs> when, you know, other people look at it now and say oh, they, they sort of see it as part of the same state oh, really? of films and that's I think there are things in it yeah you, and, and, and that's interesting you look at you look at you look at the screen and you see the mirror and you see the things reflected back again that you didn't even know you were, mm. you were really putting into the film. Um, but lots of, of who I am as a filmmaker comes from 
the watching I did when I was a teenager and through my 20s and that was how I clarified my ideas about film but also from the world I mean film is not just about film you know how you relate to the world you're in and and uh, what your experiences are if, if if those things translate into the into the work you do then that's the most exciting thing of all not that you are I mean the Tarantino idea of cinema is that you know his films are about other films mm. uh, that's all I'm not saying good or bad about that it's just the way it is but um, but your films have a realism to them like you know so I suppose if you are going to be grabbing realistic well you're trying to you're trying world, to, then... to get into something you're trying to for me anyway you're trying to penetrate something and if that's the case it's not just about the creation of the beautiful object it's also about about that object's sort of semantic relationships to the world and um, so so those and those interests and, and kind of impulses which are deep down in the person's personality sort of precede I think mm. the experience of, of watching other people's films but definitely I, 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 there is this work that I respond to and that has definitely influenced the way I work as a filmmaker would you say you have a definitive style is there anything you'd say like I do I don't think there's X. a I, things I think uh, when I look at my own work I don't think a person is always the best judge of their own work or the best person to describe it but there's a sort of humanism in, in what I do or a, a uh, uh, kind of, it seems that there's a that this the characters are 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 usually. I I tend to do this thing of projecting somehow, projecting a a a, a, a weight to characters that feels like it exists outside of the, or you know in a, in a way more substantially than than is on the screen. So the idea that they're that what you're looking at is a kind of projection of somebody real rather than a construction of the film, and. Um, yeah, there are stylistic things. I don't think I have. I, I don't think my stuff falls into a very easily categorized Definable kind of genre. Yeah. But 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 yeah, there are parts of it that that keep, seem to just keep coming back and, and tropes that that continue to come out. In I guess films. you know what you like as well. And I suppose that was going to come out in terms of what yeah, you and in terms of the way people perform and, and what I really. I, I'm not a big fan of drama, for mm. example. I don't really like high you know, octane. Yeah, I don't, yeah. and I don't like. Um, film which is primarily psychological mm. you know um, so so there is a I mean I would hope that over the course of the films that I make in future that, that those ideas will, will become refined and, and and explored so and the good thing is I don't have to do the um, categorization part if anybody's interested they he can does do his that tricks, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Frank we touched on it already but in terms of it being different say from what Richard did is it very different I mean it's a lot it of comedy in it, isn't massively there? Yeah. different I mean on the surface it is you couldn't get anything you can get a, big, a bigger contrast um, Frank is a kind of it has a sort of huge uh, playfulness about it um, it's it, it, it uh, is kind of self-referential in ways it's um it's joyful in, in, in large part and it is also um, and so there are it, it, it moves between some really out and out slapstick stuff to quite um, quiet um, poignant uh, simple human stuff as well so again it's a film that's really really hard to categorise it's uh, I, I think one thing that's uh, hard to argue with is that it's it's quite a fresh 
film. Okay. I don't think you'd have seen anything quite like it before. Oh, that's good, isn't it? That's nice to be able to. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think it, yeah. So it's turned out. <coughs> that, um, but yeah, I mean, and, and and I mean, go for it. Ask me anything you like about it. And I'll, I'll tell oh, you. Oh, really? Well. <laughs> um, what could I ask you about? It? Well, I suppose in terms of the cast, um, when you were casting what Richard did, I think you did a lot of kind of. I know because I was supposed to have an audition for it. Oh, yeah. um, but um, casting through the schools and stuff like that, yes. I mean, it was a very different process to have yeah. LA actors and. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I went from a film where all the actors, or almost all the actors, were young, starting out, really excited to be in the film, um, probably slightly in awe of me because I'd made some films yeah, that they would have yeah. known before that. And that means. Um, I, I sort of am in the sort of daddy role and that's 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 quite nice because it yeah, yeah. it just allows you to 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 when you want to really talk about what you're doing with the cast you can when you'd rather just like stay a little bit distant and get them playing and see what happens and you can sort of make those calls yourself very quickly and quietly and change your mind and do what you want yeah and um, when you look at Frank the casting process is very different because you don't audition of big course names. yeah you just yeah you offer them yeah and that means that you are... Well, I did a lot of research, I guess. Yeah, you do a lot of research, <laughs> but you also don't know until you start. Yeah. You really don't. It's and do you get to meet them? I mean, do you... Yeah, you meet them. You meet yeah. them, have I mean, coffee, So, so in fact, there are all sorts of different... It's intriguing now, because I have no idea how this process works. Okay, so the, 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 the way it works, and it, it, it entirely depends on both the actor, where they are in their career, how sort of famous they are, mm. how, how bangable and all that stuff, or, but also what sort of person they are, because some of those actors will be much more open than others it, and then it depends on where you are in your career so if you're Steven Spielberg mm. your relationship with Gosh, that actor may yeah, change yeah, yeah. Um, for me uh, for, what often happens is people meet subject to an offer meaning unless we end up having a fist fight on the floor um, uh, we'll meet meaning that if it doesn't go really badly there'll mm. be an offer to follow okay right um, but, but auditioning no Oh, was there that sort of thing? I mean, were there people that you met that you were like, no, God, actually, I just couldn't work with this person? No, actually, I, so say, say with Maggie. Yeah. I met, I wanted that Maggie, that she was my first choice for that role. So, um, in fact, everybody, honestly, was first choice. But with Maggie, she initially refused. We met, I went to Brooklyn, we sat for half a day, and we chatted. Mm. And she thought and thought and thought, and she just really couldn't get her head around the script. She, she said, it's, I just can't, I don't know. And she said no, and I was kind of pretty disappointed. And then about, I still hadn't come up with anybody that I really wanted to give it to. Mm. So I was wandering, coming back through an airport, and I got a phone call from her saying, I've changed my mind, and I really want to do it. Is it still available? Um, She just read it again, thought about it, said she couldn't get it out of her head, and said that she's never done that on any other film. And, uh, but with Michael... Um, we met I had actually done a commercial with him yeah like, he was in the Guinness one wasn't he yeah, yeah. years and years ago yeah. it was actually MasterCard but he's drinking okay. a pint in it oh. and, uh, <laughs> and uh, but but that was a long time before and, um, but did you know him you know him from circuit kind of stuff oh, but only, only from around then I don't think I'd met him since and then suddenly a few years before like a few years before Frank suddenly he started appearing in all these films I remember thinking god that guy from the MasterCard commercials doing really well <laughs> and then suddenly he was doing really well and suddenly he's getting Oscar nominations yeah exactly <laughs> and uh, um, he just liked the script and we met and got on really well and um, talked about it and I think what's happening in those conversations is um, you're both sort of testing out the other person's idea of the project to see mm. are you making the same film and uh, I think the one thing that is a loss to the director 
is that in terms of my own process, the auditioning phase is really useful yes. because what's what you hear your script played, you kind of know how it's working, and you actually learn a load about the film by auditioning. People that take up different types of exactly, doing it. Yeah, yeah. and you know you see, oh wow, that's such an interesting way to play it. Yeah. Maybe it's not right, and and that person may not be right, but I've learned something by watching them. Is that something you consider? Would you consider? I'm sure it's very unconventional, but actually workshopping it with actors and then still going off and getting your big names. I, I mean, would. It's pretty painful for the people that you work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With. Yeah. Don't tell uh, them. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, one of the things you can't do either, because one of the one of the options would be to audition actors at a level who will audition, mm. and that can be some quite famous people, but just not the super the super super, super yeah. famous. Um, so audition actors who will audition. Uh, but actually, if the big name actors hear that you're doing sort of bigger, they're less interested as well. So, of course, yeah. for example, you can't you can't go and meet like twenty. Of, showing you off can't go and meet like ten A listers. Yeah, yeah. For the same part, they won't they won't do that. They'll, they they may have a meeting. Some actors will have a meeting even without the promise of an offer, but only if you're maybe meeting two or three people. That might be the limit. That's mad. It is a, it is a mad, <laughs> unbelievably mad world, and it's where you're you spend an awful lot of time. I'm I'm casting another film at the moment and you spend an awful lot of time in that chatting with the casting director and producer and other agents about whether such and such a plan to meet this person but also have a Skype call with this person and yeah. uh, but you're sending that person the script and you're proposing not to send that person the script how will that be is that okay yeah. will their agents talk to each other will they know it's just mad um, Neil Jordan once said that he needs to sell a film and to do that you often have a lead actor yeah. I mean is that something that you consider for Frank was it kind of like okay well we better take that step up and bring in leading actors or um, did I, I, you feel that was a jump you wanted to make well you're yourself? always aware I mean it's, anybody who says they're not aware of that is, is not telling the truth you're always aware of the fact that I mean a really really good sales agent for example mm. will be able to look down a list of actors and tell you what you can raise in pre-sales for each actor well, given that script yeah uh and but but a really 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 good one of those people will also tell you not to make your casting decision based on that information. So I would rather make the film for less money with the right person than the wrong person than get a bigger budget. Of course, yeah. So on Frank, the 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 lucky thing is that we do have an actor who's got a very high profile, mm. but he's also the right person for the part. Um, for there are scripts where you look at them, and, and you know one of the things that you that I now do when I see a script, and I do it unconsciously, really. Mm. is that I'm going, mm, that script cannot be made for less than X, which means that I would have to cast sure. yeah, yeah. one of the following five names. Mm. And if that person isn't right, then I just would say I can't make the film because I know we won't have enough money to make it mm. the way I want to make it. Of course, it. yeah, yeah. So, well, I guess it has to be a step up every time you do a project as well. Well, you, kind of well, I don't know because I think, I think it's important not to think of it as a, as a simple... Not a ladder, upward curve, I mean, you know, because like sometimes the some of the ideas. You want to challenge yourself. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there are some projects where the idea demands certain scale, and mm. so you're just going to have to accept that that will be primarily cast driven, unless you are one of the like two directors or three directors whose name is enough, mm. and that is becoming increasingly hard now. It's not in Europe, maybe more so, but but globally. It's all about the actors in terms of what people are prepared to invest, and they may be wrong. Maybe the audiences are probably smarter than that, mm. but marketeers and execs aren't, and they will play it safer and say, "No, we we just won't take that risk." The only way we're going to, you know, spend that amount of money is get Leonardo DiCaprio. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. George Clooney. Yes. Yeah. So, so for me, like in thinking about the, the upcoming project, 
those this those is issues. room, that room was, yeah, yeah they, they do play a part because you know the sort of money that you can probably raise will differ mm. but I also know that the only way the film will ever be good maybe maybe you could raise the money with the wrong actor but, mm. but you're going to get shot in the head in a much Once bigger way later yeah, on yeah. if it's not good yeah. um, tell us a bit about Emma Donoghue's um, film you sent her a 10 page letter didn't you Don? yeah yeah. She, uh, I didn't think it was 10 pages but apparently in, in, in the States <laughs> um, double space oh. is standard so I thought it was a 5 page letter but um, much more reasonable yeah I mean <laughs> so I read Room about 3 years ago and I really had a very vivid sense of how, how I would make it and that I wanted to make it as a film and just kind of against the odds thought that this was pre um, what Richard did and pre Frank so mm. I had two films behind me both very small art house films which she happened to really like mm. but and I wrote her this letter and she was very she said it was the best thing she'd read about the novel um, but her advice from her people and probably her own instinct was that I was too green a director to really? give the film the profile it would need even if I would make it really well it's interesting yeah. um, so so we just kept sort of in touch and apparently she said that she was getting she got offers from extraordinary people to make the film mm. but she kept saying I just wish that guy who wrote that letter that was, bit was, a, was a bit bigger and then because he sort of really gets it yeah and um, so they didn't give the film to anybody else and meanwhile I did sort of my profile started to rise yeah um, particularly after the announcement that Frank was happening and her agent just said to her you know that guy you keep talking about well it, actually it's not such a, a crazy idea anymore yeah. so we met and got on and immediately got on extremely well and we so she's adapting it and we're working together so yeah it's been a good and is that in a kind of pre-production sort of stage now well it is heading that way yeah we're casting so we're working on the script way. as well and yeah and working on the script continuing to cast once the main adult cast are in place mm. The, we, we, we basically start the clock we, put, we set a date well you have to finance course, the film yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a small business of financing it but I think, I think the film is very financeable given the, 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 the exactly and the, and the novel's success so but once you do that you put a, you put a start date in the diary and then you, that gives you X number of months to cast the child mm. because you, you know you would think oh well you, surely you find the child first because what if you don't find the child but you can't find a five year old and then wait a year yeah. to finance the film of course because if you, yeah so in fact you have to start the process mm. you know turn the egg timer over and then hope that you find the right child yeah. in that time so that's it that's pretty you know, and that's true element again as well isn't it that's true element yeah. yeah it is and um, and it's with it's with you know there are various partners in it and but it'll be the first sort of purely North American thing that I've done Okay. Even though Frank is partially shot in the States, it's still... It's completely shot in North America, is it? It's or completely is it? shot okay. in North America, yeah. Interesting. Um, I'm just going to jump back there. I meant to ask this a minute ago about um, the kind of Frank Sidebottom character that Michael sure. Fassman plays in the head. I'm sure you've yeah. been asked a million times, but... Yeah. I mean, was that difficult if you are getting in someone like Michael Fassbender and then he's... Well, I think that's what appealed to him, you know. He I liked mean, the idea. Yeah, because that that's always been there in the script, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's the most obvious fact about the film mm. is that you've got this guy in the head for the film and... and so, well, part of the playfulness of the film is because the film talks about what it is to do, authentic, make authentic work versus work which is designed to be consumed in a certain way. And part of the playfulness of the film is that you take, like when an actor becomes famous, their face becomes a sort of separate commodity yeah, to it's them. Yeah, a tool. It's like a, yeah. Exactly. So what if you take that thing away and, 
you take away the thing that because the film is in Frank in the film is the the, the band in the film is sort of you know uh, heroically uncommercial mm. and much as Frank himself in a sort of strange way thinks they should be more commercial it's sort of Daniel Johnson kind of territory mm. and um, and and the, the Donald Gleason character really doesn't see why they shouldn't just try and be successful and use their their they, they get famous for all the sorts of bizarre reasons yeah. and, and that he tries to leverage that into kind of proper audiences for their work yeah and and you realize that you, you you realize that eventually as an audience that this is not the way to go that they should just they, they have no option to, to but to stick to what they're really good at and um so what we do in the film is the film itself could have gone could have been way more commercial mm. like you could make a film about a rock star played by michael fast sure, yeah and at least on the surface that film is much more marketable than a a film about a guy who wears a fake head, but maybe not though. Maybe but, but this is it. Yeah, this is the uh, you know? this is the paradox because yeah. because paradoxically, you can't stop that process because the fact that Michael Fassbender wears a head in this film becomes a story to tell about the film. So so the film plays with all these ideas, yeah. which are also true of the film itself. Um, from a kind of technical aspect, in terms of art department and makeup, I mean, was it a challenge for him to stay in a head for twelve hours a day or whatever? Um, no, because. <laughs> The head is really, really. It's like it's not. It's not high tech at all. Yeah, it's. I really, imagine it had like kind of metallic things that were keeping his head kind of away from the structure. No, it's got a, It's got a really simple plastic um, cap mm. that that's that sort of fixes to his head. But mm. you can take it on and off in like thirty seconds. Oh, really? Okay. So he could pop it on. Off. He actually kept it on quite a lot because it 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 it, it kind of it forced him into a certain way of moving that. Is really great, you know, because you can't really see out of it properly. You can only see out of like one physical, eye at a time. It's very theatrical. It is. I mean, yeah, he has to. It has to. He has to do Frank using all his other kind of uh, skills, yeah. not just his 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 face. And uh, but it was, yeah, it's really low tech. I mean, it's it's much more uh, Blue Peter than it is, you know, Lucas Films. Yeah, yeah. Um, as a director. Who do you think are the most important people to connect with on set? Like, do you think it's important that you have a kind of rapport with, say, DP yeah. actors? The everybody really, you know, the, the even even one bad person, one person who's not really committed or not pulling their weight or just isn't very good, has a massive. It's like a film is sort of you always the sort of financial and scheduling end dictate that there's never any spare capacity. Mm. You know, it's not like you've well, got. That's what you said about the family, I guess, in terms yeah. of everyone being tight knit. Yeah, and if somebody doesn't fit that, it's very hard. It can be really destructive, and, and disruptive. And also, everybody's expected to work at sort of ninety percent because if anything falls below that, um, it just it's starts. Ninety percent. Why ninety? Well, well, you know, I don't think anybody can work one hundred percent. But what I mean is that people are working hard and intensely all the time. They're mm. shooting, and if somebody is just slows it down that has this massive knock-on effect so but I think the important relationships creatively are with the cast with the director of photography that's the you know fundamental relationship between your on the crew side your DP has changed doesn't it between well I've used the same person I've used the same group of people quite yeah. I mean I um, James May the shot Adam and Paul and he shot Frank mm. um, David Green and shot oh, da- yeah he shot yeah. what Richard did and uh, Peter Robertson shot um uh, garage and actually I've worked with Peter and James on commercials as well okay and Dave I just he, I, Dave took a I took a sort of flyer with him and it worked out brilliantly on what Richard did because I just really liked him and he really got it um, and James I have a James is 
you know, I love, and, and but he's a great director in his own right, so he isn't always around as a cameraman. So, yeah. um, but that was great, you know, you, that relationship is crucial, and any time you've got a tension between the director and the, and the cinematographer, you just have hell. Goosed, yeah. Yeah. Um, jumping back there, sorry, I asked this earlier as well, about um, Prosperity. Yes. Um, and four-part drama for yeah. television. Is television something you'd kind of like to pursue again? Do kind of something like, I don't know, Breaking Bad or... Well, I'm interested in television not primarily as a director, but as a kind of... as a way of... I would like to... I, I sort of half doing it at the moment, thinking about some ideas that would be good for long form, you know, long form ideas. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then I'd be, I'd love to be involved in setting them <coughs> up, um, creating, you know, being involved in creating the idea and the world and and running that end of things. But and maybe directing the first one. But but I think uh, after that, I think the director has much less uh, interesting involvement in television than they do in film. What about these? What's the actual term for it? Do you know, the, uh, for example, showrunner. Yeah, showrunner. I mean, um, is that something that would appeal to you? I think you. Well, you'd have to devote your, your life six to that. Six or seven years. Yeah, to, uh, and, I, and and I don't know if I will do that. But but I am. But there are some ideas that I'm interested in. Two ideas that are floating around that that I would be very involved in working on in a sort of conceptual way early. Sure. And then maybe take an executive role in that in that as it goes on. Yeah. But you'd probably need somebody to run the show. Otherwise, you just wouldn't make. Of course, wouldn't be able to make yeah, any yeah. films in that time. Yeah, but so I'm interested in doing work that well, doesn't. Even from a writing directing. perspective, isn't it? I guess you could yeah. always write. Yeah, exactly. That's something you wanted to look into. Exactly. Um, do you feel your other interests? I mean, or what are your other interests that kind of influence not just your film but your life? I mean, do you have an interest in sports, music? Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I listen to a lot of music, and I um I still like reading work that has got nothing to do with you know possible adaptation or whatever. So. Um, those just that you, the usual old fashioned you know uh, model of the cultural life still appeals to me mm. um, and so I read and I listen to music and I talk to friends and people who I, I'm interested in um, but I have young kids so I don't have much time uh, and part of the thing that's difficult is that you get onto this kind of treadmill when you're when things go all right for you as a director, where where actually the thing you most wanted starts to happen, which is that there are lots of projects, mm. um, and it's a very hard to retain space just to think and you know. And I like I'm a really I I, I suit laziness and you know kind of pottering. I, I like to potter. I think it's very healthy as an inspirational art form. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Just well, I mean, when I say potter, I don't mean to, I mean like just get. No, up. no, no. Pottering is yeah. being a potter. But get up in the morning and not yeah, have yeah. anything to do. Yeah, uh, and that, that doesn't happen anymore because actually, you don't even get up in the morning. You get like dragged out of bed by your children. Yeah. So, um, so my my, I'm trying to I'm trying to get a handle on how that might. How the I might, I might see that. Yeah. Can, yeah. Exactly. But if, but you know but there's also the imperative to to make work and, and both kind of psychologically and also just, you know, keep the whole show on the road of financially. Course, yeah. So it's, it, th- those pressures don't go away. Um, you did that in 2004, didn't you? Yeah. It's 10 years now, yeah. so since then. Um, you did four feature films. Yeah. You're about to do a fifth. Yeah. Are you going to look at kind of doing more feature films? Yeah, I think... Turning out yeah, it will, year kind it, of it will speed up now. I, I think your, your, your maximum is like one a year. Okay. Um, so what I was doing was sort of if you if you look at it early on between Adam and Paul and Garage it was like three four years yeah. 
So now, actually, it has got faster. Mm. Um, so I would hope that, that I would be making one a film a year for the next few years or every sort Infinity. of 12 to mm. 16 months or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and, then, and then try to build time in for writing and uh, pottering and, you know, generally, uh, you know, all that stuff. And, and but Introspective. Introspective, kind of, yeah. yeah, that's it. I mean, the introspective life is the thing I... I'm most naturally kind of uh, drawn to, and I think it's the thing I've the most talent for is just thinking kind of in a, in that unconstrained way. Uh, and that it, filmmaking is a funny art form in that it is, but I think it's kind of important to me as well. I think if I only was doing the the introspecting, I'd get very, I can get very bleak. Yeah. But 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 the fact that you've got a Fly around the place and well, I guess you got to have a business head on you, don't you? And kind well, of you have to have a really practical, you have to have a sort of managerial head on you, which is the weirdest thing. But yeah. but actually, but you have to be able to inspire people and and you have to be tough and you have to be convincing and 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 funny enough, doing ads and stuff. Like I'm very good at pitching stuff mm. uh, from from doing from it a million times for yeah. commercials. And so so going into meetings and persuading people to part with money and trust you and. Uh, and all those things, I, I kind of get a important. Kick I think I think a lot of people kind of ignore that side of things. They're like, "Oh no, I can just make my films," but it is vital. It, I guess it the is really vital. Helped you in that kind of it, it is vital. I mean, especially if you, I think everybody people are different. Some people really don't. It doesn't suit them, and they have other people that they work with. And, and Ed is is massively involved in all that sure, part yeah. as well. But uh, the capacity as well to just hold it together on set, and and if there are. People, you know, you're asking a lot of people, and they have to believe in you, and and that that can be achieved in lots of different ways. People, there are very very quiet directors, but it doesn't matter how you do it. But but people have to believe you, yeah, and want to work for you. Well, I guess you those kind of quiet leaders on like the football pitch, or whatever. Yeah, exactly, you know, as opposed to kind exactly. Of kind of right and there are people who are really aggressive, and and I I think that maybe is the only way they can do it. Yeah. Um, I don't think I kind of gut feeling is that you don't get the best out of people by being like that. Mm. But it is one way of pushing things in the direction you want. Yeah. And the only thing you're really obliged to do as a director is know what you want and push together. Oh, this is my next question. I was talking to a very good friend of mine last night and we were at your talk at the Sharks in Kinsale. Yes. And you were kind of saying that, you know, to the DP, he's kind of seeing the shot and he's kind of saying, oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's beautiful and that red's lovely there, whatever, you know, and everyone's kind of slowly kind of pushing yeah, yeah. you over the cliff, you know? Yeah. And I suppose, is that something you need to be very careful of that you see all of the images yeah, in every picture and you and can't want to please people it's in your head you know yeah you have to you have to you have to take all that other stuff and and sometimes I, like at the beginning I would have thought that you just sort of walk on set and tell everybody what to do that's not necessarily the best way to do it either mm. especially with with cast sometimes it's better to just say just run it just mm. run the scene I'm not going to say anything and start to watch it and then make very simple small suggestions about what might change and then as it starts to emerge then the actors will see where it's going and start to find it. That can, for certain actors particularly, that is much better than going in and saying, okay, you walk in over here, you say this, you, you know. And You're then, feeling very angry. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and, and the really important thing is not to overload with those sorts of psychological directions. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, you get all that, you see it all the time and you, you know, you're angry, but you don't. You're afraid to, and you're, and, and as I always say, you can't play that. That's a paragraph of of stuff that you can't possibly play. Yeah. Whereas, so if you try to find metaphors for it, or just tell somebody, just you know, just tell some somebody very simple, like just just do that again, but play it really low energy. Mm. 
And if that's a good direction, you'll, they'll find, oh, this feels, this scene feels different. It gives me a different power in the scene if I don't say much, or, or if, sorry, if I say what I say very quietly. Yeah. And, 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 and give them physical things like that to, to touch off. Because if you start with a big treatise on the character's feelings, mm. you just, I mean, we can have an interesting debate about it, but that's not necessarily going to end up as a, as a <laughs> very so. real scene. Especially on a set. Like. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Um, in what Richard did, there's a lot of improv. I mean, is that much the same kind of thing? Did you kind of say to the actors, this kind of reverts back to what you were saying about these kind of Hollywood mm-hmm. actors and younger actors. I mean, did you trust them to kind of just go ahead with it and make the scene for you? I mean, well, especially within, Jack in terms Well, of with this. improv, actually, I, I, there, there are really only three places that are improv in what Richard did. Like, there are three scenes where we kind of knew that that would happen. But they were, that was very much known from the beginning. Okay. So they were just written in the script as the... They talk Because you workshopped a lot as well. Yeah, you? we workshopped so, a lot. Yeah. So in fact, I didn't just let them go off because I think I think improv like that tends to be not very good. Mm. You know, actors tend to run towards conflict. Yeah. If they have no other option, if they have no other, they'll look for tension because that's what makes it. You know, at least if I get into an argument, I kind of know what's happening in the scene. Yeah. So what we did actually is we really constructed those improvs around ideas. We practiced them. We knew where we knew the territory they were going to go into and where it was going to like how we were going to move between different ideas we just didn't write the dialogue and we practiced it and practiced it so the actors were, were really familiar with those scenes so it's like a kind of directed improv um, because otherwise you just end up with a bit of a mess and you see that all the time yeah. I, just, I can't bear it I hate I hate that sort of um, and you know that people walk False away from that stuff exactly yeah. and they walk away from it congratulating themselves they've just done something really authentic and it just looks like pants Trosh, and yeah, yeah. Um, who's your favourite director? I don't have a favorite director. I mean, historically. Going to ruin my question now, unless you give me a specific director. Okay, uh, I'll tell you. I can give you a few (laughs) people. I mean, they're not surprising. Um, There's a director I absolutely love, Bill Douglas, Scottish Mm. uh, director. Um, He's long dead and amazing. Um, I, uh, um, you know, I love lots of Pasolini and. Uh, Bergman and, and Tarkovsky and all the, the you know the canon of great mm, classics water like, yeah. filmmakers but I also love Casavetes and I and I I like um, and I like some much more mainstream stuff as well so if I had to pick a director whose films I could watch again and again it might be Bergman okay so why did you make What Richard Did? <laughs> um, I'm, I made that it's, I can tell you the, the how and then the way sort of comes out of that the how was that um, Kevin Power wrote this book what Richard did mm. uh, no sorry Kevin Power mm. wrote this book um, uh, Bad Day Black, Black Rock, Rock yeah. and um, it was floating around our office in Element Pictures and Emma um, Norton who's the head of development at Element mm. her husband is Mal Campbell who's mm. a writer and she said here read this he read it really liked it he talked to Ed, Ed or Ed actually no Ed first optioned the book Ed read it and liked it and then thought, mm, what should we do? And Mark read it and liked it. And then Ed said, would you read this book? You might be something in it for you. And I read it and I wasn't sure, but the character of Richard just kept stuck in my mind and sort of changed a little bit in my mind and softened a bit and became this way for me of reflecting on what it's like to be to be the the one that everybody loves, uh, which is always you know we, we make teen movies about the outsider and yeah. just really interested to think about the the vulnerability of the one on the top. 
and I went to a school that was not a million miles away from those schools and I knew people like him and I, I just kept thinking about it and so I was one of the reasons I was worried about making the film was the connection to the Annabelle's case because you didn't want to add more suffering to people who'd of already course. suffered a lot yeah. but I felt in the end there was something very important to be talked about about the expectations you place on people like Richard and and also there are many cases like that the one outside Annabelle's yeah. And what we did do was fictionalise much further than the book, to the extent that I don't think it's had, obviously important for them. But yeah, it is and, and, and so so that that's why I felt it was I, I could stand over it morally to make the film. But the but the the sort of the artistic why was to study the character of Richard. That's why I did it. That just brought something else into mind there. Um, Garage ends not ambiguously, but it ends. Yeah. Indefinitively, say, yes. and so does what Richard did to a degree. Yeah, um, I don't see Frank, but does that end the same sort of thing? Is that something you like doing because you kind of like to leave the audience thinking at the end? Or Frank has a more resolved ending. Okay. Than um, Frank. I you kind of say Adam and Paul also has. Yes, a kind of and actually, Adam and Paul is is much closer to Frank's much closer to Adam and Paul than any of the other films okay. in that it has that playfulness. Yeah, but it's much less grim, you mm. know. Um, but but you know how things end for the characters at the end of, of Frank. Mm. Um, whereas the whole idea of Richard is is really to ask yourself, did you ever know that boy? And and it's certainly not possible to know him there, I think, at the end of the film. And that's kind of the point. Yeah. Um whereas in, in, in Garage, I think there's a kind of there's an attempt to at least whisper the idea of freedom at the end of Frank, even though or at the end of sorry, Garage, even though you know Josie is dead. There's mm. a sense of release. In, in a very austere kind of wor- way um, but but in in what Richard did I think there's a very that, that ending is very dark really because it says perhaps he feels nothing you know after all this perhaps he is unaffected by it mm. and that's very scary and it also because that's what stuck with me I mean in that final shot where he's sitting there and he's just pondering and you're like he yeah. could just as easy to be thinking about his college work rather than anything that's it. happened. It, and it's, it's, like it's that, and I would look for it so long to find that moment of pure ambiguity at the end of what Richard did. Yeah, because did you shoot. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Did you shoot many endings? Because there is the sense that that film is edited a hundred different ways. That's good. That's good. Good insight. It's true. In not that there were different endings. We did shoot an ending, but we didn't go as far as that ending. No, put it like this: the way the film ended on paper was in the university and what was going to happen was that he was just going to pass himself and Lara were going to pass each other in the corridor and not even acknowledge each other okay. and that was shot the scene that we did end on where he's sitting at the kitchen table was initially just part of the lead up to that which was to say he's in college he's studying he's, you see him you know you see him in different worlds sort of continuing um, and but I kept going back to that shot because it felt much more pregnant than the other ending, which was a bit more obvious, you know, that, that oh, wow, they're not... They, they don't even acknowledge each other. Yeah, yeah. Like, I thought that for that film to have any real depth, it has to be about things other than how did it turn out for yeah. him. And it certainly couldn't be about the court case or anything because that's a whole different thing, you yeah. know. Film he's film. not a real guy, so whether he's convicted or not actually doesn't matter to me. Mm. Unless it's a film about the court system or a film about the justice system or a social commentary, which it isn't, then those things don't matter. What matters is what state as a human being might he be in at the end of all this? Did he really feel, does he feel, or has he managed to, 
to sort of successfully repress this. And what do you think? Do you know, or like, I mean, do you leave it to the audience and you know yourself and we, don't say? Or I think that for a character like that, I think that that Richard ultimately is a very kind of weak and kind of lost character right from the beginning of the film and that what you end up with is a sort of hollower version of that and that maybe in later life a character like that will all of that emotion will re-emerge but I sort of imagine that he would successfully have a fairly conventional middle class life Mm. which I mean you know to go back to those real cases and the one that most people know most the animals case people are out there who are living probably probably married with kids and stuff who life must go on of course like yeah so. who are involved were involved and nobody ever knew about yeah um I guess we'll go back to that question um who's your favourite director uh, I, I'm gonna I mean because it's a totally meaningless answer I'll just pick one of the <laughs> directors I love um I, it's, I maybe Bergman because of the kind of uh, just just the the number of his films which had such a which made such a profound uh, impression on me and what would you ask Bergman if he were here I don't know I think I think if he if he were in a kind of talkative mood I'd just ask him lots of very very practical questions about about the 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 journeys he made on various films and how he did things and and why and and his process because process is the thing that you become most obsessed about as a director mm. other directors process um and I'd probably talk to him about things not related to because he's he's such a I mean his 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 films really do illustrate the point I made earlier about making films about life not films about films I mean his films are deeply about his attitudes to um, the deepest aspects of his own experience and so I'd like to talk to him as a person as much as as a filmmaker mm. I guess we've kind of already done that so it's okay um I think that's it, unless you do a question. You used the word and pregnant there, and there is this kind of a sense to your films in that when they end, there is a continuum, there's a continuum because you, yes. we leave it unresolved. Is yes. that something you're conscious of? I think I'm, it's a bit like I said about character. Mm-hmm. I'm always, I'm very interested in what it is that makes something feel real, not in the, in the Lochian naturalistic sense but I mean in the sense that I think you always have to feel there is something behind around as well as other than the film which is speaking into the screen okay. otherwise all you're looking at is a construction now that's an illusion it's like it's like three dimensional drawing where you give the illusion of a third dimension because of course all you have are are these images and, and all you've done are you know you've constructed everything you've made it and put it but but, uh, so I'll go back to something that Bergman said which is he says that really great filmmaking has the quality of, of dreaming because in a dream even though you're in fact the author of all the things you experience in a dream it feels like it's coming from elsewhere it feels like you're experiencing something real it's an analogy. And, and so for, for me in filmmaking I'm always sort of whether I'm conscious of it or not striving for that idea of another of the, of the third dimension and if you leave a, if you've done it I think if you've succeeded at all then when you leave a film you feel this this kind of like the the ringing that you still have in a room after a bell stops you, you feel that there's something 
that existed outside it. And um, I'm also really fascinated about how you get into scenes and out of them. So you, you don't feel like... I'll give you an example. If you look at the Hannah Arendt film, right? It's just been out recently, which is about the, the sort of philosopher-journalist Hannah Arendt. It is just a series of little dramatic nonsenses. Now, it's, it's about lots of important stuff, and, and so you can still learn about the world through it. But you can hear cutting and action. You can, you can feel the, the, the and go. Mm. And always I'm trying to enter scenes in a way which makes you feel, hang on, hang on, this has already started, or I'm, I'm coming in upon something that has a life outside. You're dropping in. It, you're dropping in, exactly. Um, and I've been... I think if I'm if I'm good at anything, it's it's about pr- preserving my I, my kind of ghostly my sense of some ghost reality, even though I'm constructing the scene. I, I still I still can step away from it when I'm watching the actors and feel it as if it was really happening and make those judgments, because. Not always, and sometimes you don't succeed, and sometimes you're so constrained by a million things that mm. that, it, that 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 kind of level of of involvement artistically is very hard to find. But that's the that's the challenge is to f- is to feel yourself as a director, even though you're looking at a monitor, you're surrounded by people with clipboards, and you know, and there are lights, yeah, and yeah. it's about to be lunch. Yeah. You still have to be able to kind of get outside that and really experience it like and I have said before that your job as a director is to be the the human being in the room that just experiences what these other human beings are doing so that you're not and at the same time you're also the one who's going yeah well if that person walks in on the left then we're not going to be able to cut and yeah, yeah. so that stuff has to become so, sort of automatic enough that you can you can be doing the mechanical stuff but still kind of pop into the room like some innocent kind of bystander going oh you know why is that person doing that doesn't feel right mm. you know that doesn't feel right why well, it doesn't mean anything or it does yeah so 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 you kind of have to preserve some part of yourself that is like a, um, an unprofessional human that's present and not like a a, a mechanic or a or, or even a sculptor you're not always making you should be experiencing as a director as well well that's one thing that always stuck with me from what Richard did I mean there's lots of points of dialogue where they are just chatting do yeah. you know what I mean and it gives a very human feel to yeah. them just like I mean for example in the pub when yeah. they're there or even in the car so scenes and stuff you know yeah the gerbil and all that stuff now some of that's just fortuitous like the gerbil story he was telling that to to oh, her sure. yeah. when they didn't know we were filming and Jack says we were filming pretty quickly but he sort of kept going yeah but but uh, Roisin didn't. Now we were shooting. So, but in other other occasions, you're constructing that, and the way to do it is to know that if I'm too close with them in the camera, or if I if the angle is too easy, that will be blown. Whereas if I, no, so I'll no. actually say start over there and say to the cameraman, I don't know where they're going when they're going to pop out, but just follow them and find them. That will give you that feeling that that it's happening. But in in dramatic scenes, where there really is dialogue, then it's much harder. But you still are obliged to to find that and sometimes things need to happen that are unpredictable that don't make sense sometimes you have to engineer mistakes in a weird way a bit like types of drawing where where the roughness of it is kind of part of its sense that it's real you know even when you're constructing sets like if you look at any room it will always have weird hangovers to previous incarnations with stuff that like that that big that pole that goes across there there 
like if you were designing this as a set you probably wouldn't put that in because you'd think well what's that about yeah but that's the thing that would make Character, your set feel yeah. real yeah yeah sure I just want to check one thing about time just in terms of so I'm meeting somebody downstairs at 12 I'm fine go ahead um, Garage yes I uh, I studied film for about three years and one of my lecturers quoted it as his favourite airship it's actually my favourite airship uh, but we found out that he was from Mongar I'm from Tipperary yeah and generally, the rest of the people in the class or from the country loved it, but the people from Dublin City yeah. didn't particularly like get it as much. It's really interesting, you know, because in a funny way, in terms of the audience, the audience for Garage is much more within the M50 than it was in the country. But but as it's gone on, its its resonance has been much more in, in the country, and I can kind of understand that. Um, I think a lot of people in the city have a sort of reverse snobbery and would say, actually, oh, Ireland's changed. Um, that's mm. such an old-fashioned picture of Ireland. But you've talked to anybody who comes from those places. Yeah. They will say there are towns mm. like that all over the yeah. country. You know people. Yeah. Absolutely. And why Pat Short? Because you've seen the stuff that Pat does before that. And then Garage comes along and you're thinking, all right, here we go. Phenomenal. Yeah. Such a different performance from him that he's ever done. Yeah. I mean, the reason, that, again, that is an, another thing of instinct. Because I had done TV commercials with Pat. So I, w- I had worked with the other Pat, you know, the Pat who's just been, like, outrageously over the top. But if you look at Pat, you talk to him, and if he goes quiet, and he's just in his own world, there's a tremendous kind of tenderness to him and a sort of simplicity of, of expression, and he'll sit there waiting for you to go again, and then he'll be up and performing. But that thing is there. But now I'm not the first person, because Pat had done plays now he'd done sort of Martin McDonough which is already a bit up but yeah. but he'd done plays and, and, and I just both myself and Mark felt that, that he would get it because Josie is like the real version of one of the characters that he would play and, and a lot of his char- I mean when I say the real version I mean jo- Pat would play some, some sort of half sort of bizarre guy who, who worked in a garage and was great thought he was <laughs> funny the thing is you dial that down to like point two from 10 and, and then you start to get towards that character and also he knew he knows and knew because he was a man who came from a ta- from Thurlis whatever but he knew people like that so it was really like if had we gone with an actor like say Brendan Gleeson or somebody who you can imagine mm. I think you may have got a more actorly version with Pat you got this incredible truthfulness I think that was it because myself and David are from the same time and it was the first time you saw people like Josie was there were there are people like that at yeah. home. And you don't see that often. Yeah. Like we don't explore that aspect of Ireland much. And especially at that time because it was you know, it was boom period. So it was That's right. Well again we myself and Mark always seem to be like we always seem to like be on the other part of the wave. Like mm-hmm. I made the film about middle class Ireland after the bust, you know. <laughs> And I made the film about like the people on the margins when apparently we're doing so well. But actually, the thing I realised is those those swings are really only in the media. I mean, actually, okay, a lot of people did made a lot of money during the boom, and and um, a lot of people are suffering during the bust. But actually, the main shapes of the culture are the same. And we were really aware during the Tiger that actually, like, you walk around Dublin, you think so little of this has really changed. Yeah. So just perversely, that was why prosperity was was a thing we wanted to do at that point. Just say, well, come on, this is ridiculous. The idea that we're doing really well. Yeah. 
but but similarly now there's nothing the 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 core um of the middle class isn't affected by the bust um but also towns it's not like the idea that every town in ireland every village in ireland was transformed during the boom is so ridiculous you know and so all you needed to do was drive around and you found yeah, like so honestly the, in the town we shot where the garage is there was a guy across the road who would where sit. was that that was rath cabin in in um in tip actually yeah and um and then we went across the border into like we were in east galway for other parts of the film and um but like there was a, a guy who would sit on the wall opposite the garage watching his film who had a blue baseball cap and never said anything and went really quiet when any wow. woman went by that's you know, would, sort of, would sort of put his head down and I mean I don't know what he thought while he watched Pat but it was it was like having Josie watching Josie yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, as a final question um, what advice would you give to any young filmmakers I mean I would say it's not a bad time mm. because there are there's a lot happening you know and there is there are ways to do it like it, it's not a, it's not as a sort of as wild a shot as it might have been before I would say I, th- I think a few things probably don't get too obsessed with one project because uh, sometimes things have a time and if they don't happen and you're hawking it around for a long long time you can just you can, you can really lose you know I think it's important to be continually developing ideas the other thing is just to start making stuff because there's nothing to stop you now you mm. can make it on and when you do it take it really seriously and try and get the best people to work with you can even if you're funding it yourself mm. um, and I think the thing is I would say I don't know some people say they I don't know if you ever know at the beginning whether you, I think the only way I found out that I was good at it was by sort of doing it and then going oh, okay actually I think I could have come out of the first stuff I did and gone I, this isn't I'm not really for me and I think I don't know whether this is good advice or not because we're always supposed to say to people go for it believe in yourself like no matter how badly it goes just stick to it but I think there are loads of lives in filmmaking and I've seen a lot of people get absolutely obsessed with being an actor mm. and and you know that they're, they, they may not be very happy with it but they've invested so much in their belief that they must do it and nothing else will do and I, and I, I would say like find the thing that gives you real pleasure and um, don't get hooked on any idea of yourself at the beginning that that you will then hold to to the exclusion of everything else mm. so as a director start making stuff don't, you know I think the worst thing you can do and what people sometimes do is they want something a lot but they're a bit afraid that they won't be any good at it or it won't work so they wait they wait they wait they wait life is gone. And, life, and then it goes by so instead just do it um, start doing it and you'll know very quickly whether that or you'll learn really quickly about yourself in that context and whether it really is healthy for you or good for you or hmm. whatever but I think yeah you know the, the thing is for directing is, is just start making things one way or the other and you know what the other thing to say is there is no barrier actually um, people get really obsessed about it being who you know and hmm. Actually, it isn't. I mean, you look at something that's good, and and people will like jump. I mean, the great th- it's one of the few kind of worlds where nobody really cares whether you like wear a suit or whether you're um, like 
it talent is such a sort of talent is so much the premium mm. thing that people I mean of course if what you want to do is really unusual then that's different you may have to accept it being totally on the margins but generally speaking if you make something good even if it's made really cheaply and on video and, and like with you know tiny resources that will be recognised and that's that's a, that's a good thing I think. Mm. okay cool thank you very much thank Lenny. you so much thanks, thanks. Well, it's all a pleasure thank you